Hey guys, welcome to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I am so excited that we get to connect every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. What are the things that we want to break free from? Well, we're talking about old mindsets, mental constructs, paradigms, things from the past, things from your history that keep you from seeing your destiny your destiny that God has prepared for you. I hope that today's episode will help you break free from some of the things that have held you back from accomplishing whatever God has already in place for your life, whatever it is that is holding you back from getting to that point B, whatever is forming a stronghold in your mind. Remember that there's a mind-body connection. In other words, everything starts with a thought. You know, everyone wants to change the world, a philosopher once said, but they're not willing to change themselves. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing (laughs) to change yourself today? You see, if you don't change, well, then you won't see change. Let me tell you, if you bring 2020 into 2021, if you bring yesterday's experiences into the new day, you will continue to produce the exact same outcome. Change is required, the Apostle Paul said, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. In other words, the mind needs to be renewed on a daily basis. We need to pivot, adjust. We need to to reflect on a day-to-day basis. You know, I love asking myself three very important questions at the end of the day. Did I live? Did I love? And did I make a difference? And of course, I would also ask myself, what could I have done better to produce a more positive outcome? At the end of the day, keep in mind that life is all about living and leaving a legacy, a legacy of love. The great Maya Angelou once said, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you look like, what you sounded like, or what you said. They will only remember how you made them feel. How many of you remember that one teacher perhaps in preschool, kindergarten, or elementary school, that just made you feel like a million bucks. You could not wait to get to their classroom because they empowered you. They made you feel important, significant, (laughs) even made you feel intelligent. They believed in you, and they made you feel good. And you still remember to this day the influence that they had on your life. You may not remember what they looked like. You may not remember what they sounded like or even what they said, but you remember how they made you feel. That's exactly what Maya Angelou was referring to. I remember growing up in Pasadena, Texas. As a kid, I went to McMaster's Elementary from kinder all the way through fifth grade before moving uh, to Mexico. And I had this one particular teacher. She was my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Falls, which I described to everyone. Now, keep in mind, this was back in the, in the, uh, the 80s. I described her as Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> Farrah Fawcett lookalike. Remember, Charlie's Angels. Some of you younger folks might not know who I'm talking about, but those of you who are 40 plus, <laughs> like me, close to 50, you remember Charlie's Angels, and you definitely remember Farrah Fawcett. I mean, come on, let's be honest, guys. Some of you had a poster of her up on your walls when you were kids. <laughs> I know I did. And so I remember telling everyone that she was a Farrah Fawcett lookalike, Mrs. Falls, you know, the the blonde flowing hair, you know, the the tall, uh, good-looking individual, you know. And and, and so I remember that every day, well, not every day, but maybe every other day, I would get home and I would do some homework and 
have a snack and get on my bicycle. That's when you could get on your bicycle and just leave. No cell phones back in the day, by the way. You would always carry a couple of quarters in case you needed to use a public phone to call home. But uh, you would get on your bike and go out for hours without, without a problem. And so I would get on my bicycle and I would ride about 10 blocks to where she lived. She lived close to home and, and I knew the time that she went out to water her yard, her, her garden, her flowers. And so I would go out there and I would ride around the area until she was out holding that hose and watering her garden. I would ride by, I would shout out, Mrs. Falls, Mrs. Falls, <laughs> and I would wave and she would say, Milton, it's so nice to see you again. Of course, I had just seen her during the daytime, spent eight to 10 hours with her in the classroom and there I was again. I was so fond of her. I just wanted to see her, see her smile. I felt so encouraged. <laughs> I did this the whole school year, every other day, even in the summertime, as many times as I could, just to have a glimpse of Mrs. Falls because of the way that she made me feel. 20 plus years later, I was having a conversation with my son about Mrs. Falls, can you believe it? As I was going through a box full of class pictures, full of old pictures back from the 80s that my parents had collected. As I was rummaging through the box trying to find that one picture, that one class picture from fifth grade, it was like looking for the Willy Wonka golden ticket. (laughs) As I was looking for it, I was explaining to him how impactful this one particular teacher had been and how she was just a, a beautiful individual inside and out and how she resembled this model back from the day, uh, Fair Fawcett. I went to explain to him and, and, uh, as I was going through the box, finally, I, was, I, I hit the jackpot. I found that one picture. All I saw was McMaster's Elementary, Mrs. Fall's fifth grade class. I pulled it out, and to my amazement, the person that I thought she was, well, <laughs> she wasn't. The way that I had always described her to people was not the way she was, in fact, or in reality. Uh, she looked like a teacher from Little House on the Prairie. You know, she had a long skirt with Birkenstocks. <laughs> she was wearing Birkenstocks and, and hoses, and she had a hair pulled back in a bun. Her hair was uh, a bit blonde, a bit gray. She had big glasses on and, and no makeup. She was far from looking like Farrah Fawcett, let me tell you. And so you're probably asking yourself, then, why did I create this mental image, this picture in my mind? Well, let me tell you, it was the way she made me feel. She became the most beautiful individual, whatever I equated beauty to. (laughs) That's what she became. And it was simply the way that she made me feel. How many of you have people like that in your lives? Or how many of you have had an experience like that in your life that you've been around people that make you feel that way? And simply because of the way that they are, the way that they make you feel, they become beautiful individuals in your sight. They are people that you love being around. They are like a breath of fresh air. I hope you've had an experience like that, or I hope you're having an experience like that with certain people in your life. We all need that breath of fresh air. Now, there's also the complete polar opposite. There are people that are not a breath of fresh air. They actually suck the air out of you. They are critical in their spirits, and rather than uplifting you and empowering you, they disempower you and almost disable you to a certain point. 
These people are always giving you their opinion. Unsolicited. (laughs) It's when you don't even ask for it, but they have an opinion or they have some kind of advice on how you should do things in your life, how you could be a lot better than you currently are. Completely unsolicited and completely (laughs) out of the blue. You know the type of person that I'm talking about. These are the type of people that you run into them in the grocery store. You see them from a distance coming down the same aisle that you're heading. They're coming north. You're going south. What do you do? You turn around and you run the other way because you don't want to have to be confronted by them. You don't want to interact with them. You don't want to have to hear what they have to say. And it's not that you detest or dislike feedback. We know that feedback is breakfast of champions. Come on. I learned that from a good friend of mine, a mentor of mine, Karen Heck. She would always say, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So it's not that you don't like feedback. It's just that this is not feedback. Feedback is solicited. This is a critical spirit that has one goal, and the goal is to cut you down into pieces. This person can be a relative, a parent, a sibling. It could be a friend, a teacher, or your own spouse, your children. You know, it could be just anyone. 99% of the time, the people that go around with these critical spirits hurting other people are usually hurt people. You've probably heard this has been said. You know, I heard someone once say, hurt people hurt other people. So someone with a critical spirit is a hurt individual. They have wounds and scars in their hearts that that have not healed. And so what do they do? They'll go out and hurt others. It's a defense mechanism. It's before you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Before you make a point, I'm going to make a point. And I'm going to be louder than you. Why? They're defending themselves. It's a coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism used to protect themselves. It displays their upbringing. It shows the condition of their heart. It talks about their emotions, their self-esteem, their lack of confidence, and their lack of self-love. And most importantly, it shows that they don't know God because God is love. And if they were able to experience this love in their lives, that love has transformational power. And just as Jesus said, that as his followers, we would bear good fruit. And by that fruit, we would be known to others to be his followers. And if you read the book of Galatians written by Paul, he writes to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me emphasize the fact that he says fruit, singular form. He doesn't say fruits. In other words, you don't pick and choose what you want. It is It comes all in one package. When you accept Christ in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you. And therefore, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within you is the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, self-control. And they all come in one package. Now, does that mean that we are always going to be perfect and show each and every one of these characteristics, these traits? Well, no. Why? Because we're, we're fallible. We're not infallible. We make mistakes. We're human. We are sinful in nature. We live in a fallen world. But you know what? When we do make that mistake, when we do treat someone unkindly, what do we do? We go back and we ask for forgiveness. We should feel the conviction in our hearts strong enough 
to go back and say, please forgive me. I want to share a clip with you right now from a movie. The movie is called Fences. It is a Denzel Washington movie. Powerful, powerful movie. Highly recommend it. I watched it uh, several years ago, and I want to I want to play a clip from the movie. I want you to focus on his tone. He's speaking to his son. Listen to his son's question. Now, keep in mind that. Uh, Dad has been very abusive verbally. Has been very critical of spirit uh, towards his children, to both of their son, to both of his sons. Uh, this one in particular, the youngest one, who wanted to please his father. Listen to his question and listen to Dad's response. Now, I know this is a movie, but this uh, is 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 typical in many households. Now, if you are with a child right now, if you're with a minor, uh, please be aware. A little disclaimer. Uh, there is a little bit of foul language in this uh, video clip or this this uh, sound clip. Uh, so uh, I would encourage you to uh, either listen to this later or 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 to have the uh, your kid <laughs> your kids leave the room in this case if you want to continue listening to it. So just a little disclaimer. Can I ask you a question? What the hell you got to ask me, Mr. Stewiggy, the one you got the questions for. How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? What law is there say I got to like you? Want to stand up in front of my face and ask a damn fool-ass question like that? Talking about liking somebody. Come here, boy, when I talk to you. Straighten up, goddammit. I asked you a question. What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. Nigga, as long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt putting up with them crackers every day because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. It's my job. It's my responsibility. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. Because I like you, because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. Now let's get this straight right here now before I go along any further. I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand don't give me my money, come pay day cause he like me, he give it to me cause he owe me. Now I don't give you everything I got to give you, I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not, you best be making sure they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, then get the hell out of my face and get on down to that A&P. That's a powerful clip. Now, to some of you, that may sound completely foreign. To others, it may sound like their childhood. It may sound like the relationship that they had with their father, with their mother, with a relative. In this day and age, especially with the political climate that we're living in, we're seeing critical spirits everywhere, especially on social media. I mean, come on, scroll for five minutes on Facebook and you will find an abundance of critical comments about other people. Go on to Twitter. Go on to Instagram. Engage in a conversation with someone who has opposing ideas and see how 
it'll end up in a critical conversation, oftentimes going one way. Not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. Let me tell you, people with a critical spirit are like porcupines. Yes, porcupines. You see, when they feel threatened, they push out their barb-like quills to protect themselves and can deeply stab your heart. And they don't care. They see it. They know it. But they don't care. You see, we don't feel safe with sharp-quilled people. We know as, as surely as they can attack others, often without justification, they can just as easily turn on us without provocation. I mean, you know it. You know people that have critical spirits and they talk about others and they're constantly criticizing them. Well, beware. Because that same person who's criticizing others in front of you can any moment, at any time, turn on you without any provocation and shoot those sharp quills to penetrate your own heart. Unfortunately, those who have a critical spirit don't recognize oftentimes this this negative character flaw in themselves. Instead, they defiantly proclaim, I'm not negative, I'm just right. You know, we see this a lot, and, and please forgive me for what I'm about to say, or, well, don't forgive me, you know, I don't apologize. But a lot of people who are what I call D-type personalities, determined, decisive, direct domineering, usually firstborn, usually firstborn individuals, they have this, this tendency to not really care for personal relationships. They're more about getting the task done. It's my way or the highway. If you can't walk at my same speed, get out of the way. They're that type of individual, and they have the potential to be critical spirits. If you try to to have a close relationship with someone who has a porcupine personality, realize that it's (laughs) next to impossible, listen, to embrace a porcupine without getting hurt. I mean, think about it. Can you picture this mentally right now? Create this mental picture in your mind. Picture a porcupine with its quills ready to shoot from its body, (laughs) would you go and embrace it as you would embrace perhaps a small, cuddly pup, a little puppy? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because you would end up getting hurt. And then if you are being subjected to the jabs of an unjust critic, be on guard. You could get into the same negative pattern by jabbing back. Listen, I oftentimes say this, and again, I don't apologize. I say, I don't argue with idiots. I don't want to get into this vicious cycle of back and forth because eventually my heart could also become hard and I too could develop a critical spirit. If you've been initiating the barbs, the guaranteed solution to stop you from barbing is one profound sentence. And it was spoken by Jesus. He simply said in Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's that simple. How many of you have ever read the book of Job, all 40 plus chapters? I mean, it's a very lengthy book. It's very dense. It requires you to read and reread to understand. But in a nutshell, Job 
being the most faithful man in the region, according to God, because God is talking to Satan, and he is telling him how faithful Job is, and that Job, not only is he faithful, but the enemy highlights the fact that Job is faithful because he has everything. He's got property, wealth, cattle, beautiful family. He's got everything. And so you probably know the story that God gives him permission to afflict Job's life, and after several you know, different episodes or instances in Job's life, uh, Job ends up losing every single thing he has, his family, his possessions. Uh, he loses everything except for his wife. He doesn't lose his wife and a couple of uh, two or three of his friends. And so now he's in the desert scratching the boils on his body with a clay pot. He hasn't lost his life, but he's lost his health. And so Job mourns uh, the loss but he doesn't become embittered uh, towards God. Instead, he submits himself to the sovereignty of God by declaring, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This is Job 121. But, but guess what? As he, is, as he is declaring this, he is stunned by the loud thundering voice of his wife. She says, curse your God and die. That's her retort. Especially after seeing her husband suddenly stricken, afflicted from head to toe with painful sores, with with boils all over his body. She observes this once respected man so revered in the community, now scorned and reduced to sitting in a pile of ashes and, and scraping the sores with a jagged piece of pottery. Job's noble stance before the Lord is, is absolute nonsense to her. She doesn't want to hear one more word of devotion from her disease-ridden husband. You see, a critical spirit consumes the wife of the one whom God calls the greatest man among all the people. That's Job 1.3. However, she's had enough, and she wants Job and God to know it. Are you still maintaining your integrity? She pounds her unleashing Tongue with toxicity. Curse your God and die, she says. A critical spirit is an excessively negative attitude characterized by harshness in judging. You've probably been around people like this. Criticizers judge others severely and unfavorably. Hypercritical people judge others with unreasonably strict standards, outrageous standards, sometimes unattainable standards. Fault finders look for and point out flaws and defects with nagging and unreasonable criticism. And you know what the Bible says about the power of the tongue? Proverbs 18, 21 says the tongue has the power of life and fill in the blank, death. Yes, our phraseology can bring life or death to our own lives or to the lives of those around us, the ones that we have the most influence over. And that's why we need to watch what we say. We need to watch what we repeat. Because as we repeat that one idea, that one statement, our subconscious mind has a tendency to believe it because it has no filter. Whatever you repeat will grow like a tree. So if you have children, if you're a parent of young ones between the ages of uh, 1 and 11, 12 years of age, think about this. Whatever you are repeating over and over, their subconscious minds are accepting it as a reality, as truth. It has no filter. 
it will start to make an imprint. It will start to create mental ruts, uh, mental constructs, paradigms, for good or for evil. And so keep in mind that your tongue, your words, your phraseology has the power to give life or death. And guess what? You choose. So the question is always, why are some people so judgmental? Why are some people so critical? Well, a critical spirit doesn't just appear out of nowhere, let me tell you. It is created and nurtured by past negative experiences. Remember what I said earlier? Hurt people hurt other people? It's true. Don't just focus on the present problem. Instead, look. Look back at the past. What could have produced the critical spirit and what continues to perpetuate it? Scripture points out the source of contentious behavior. James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? Yes, the answer is yes. 99% of the time, these are things that you're battling with in the innermost part of you. Things of your past, things of your childhood. Dysfunctional homes, this is what they create. Now think about this for a moment. A dysfunctional home is not just a home that is located on the wrong side of the tracks. A dysfunctional home can be a home that is filled with wealth, filled with luxuries, and yet dysfunctional at its core because the parenting is not founded on biblical truth. There's a lot of critical judgment. There's critical spirits. There's false expectations. There are standards that are unattainable, unreachable, goals that are unrealistic, and therefore you start to damage the heart of a child. And they, they hear mom and dad criticize other people. They, they hear mom and dad criticize so many things on a, on a daily basis that they start themselves to develop a critical and judgmental spirit. When I, when I encounter as an educator children who are critical of other children, who are constantly criticizing others, at an early age, a very early age, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are coming from a household in which this is a custom. This is this is customary in, in their day-to-day conversation, and therefore they acquire this. They're not born with a critical spirit. They're nurtured a critical spirit. And so the most common cause of a critical spirit, once again, is living in a home where criticism abounds, where parents model a critical spirit before their children. Growing up in such a home where critical comments are continually hurled can cause a child to be overly critical in adulthood. After all, with children, more is caught than is taught. Overly critical parents produce heavy-hearted children. They feel continually crushed by criticism. Thus, their sense of self-worth is suffocated. They feel stuck in self-defeat. The scripture says, children, honor your father and your mother. But the scripture also says, parents, do not exasperate your children. Ultimately, condemning parents can provoke their children to anger. Children who, under the weight of such pressure, become stone throwers. The book of Proverbs presents a a word picture of the damaging weight produced by judgmental people who provoke others to feel or act negatively. Proverbs 27.3 says, Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. So a critical spirit is developed under the weight of unanticipated anger, 
unremitting stress, undue pressure, unending fear, unfair comparison, undeserved condemnation, ungrounded guilt, unjust rejection, unmerited blame, unreasonable control, unwarranted attacks, and unsubstantiated accusations. So typically, those who live under the pressure of continual criticism feel the excess weight of false guilt. Listen, the scripture says in, in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I remember growing up saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Boy, wasn't that the biggest lie. Let me tell you, critical comments can cause extensive, even lifetime harm. I mean, I've seen it in counseling sessions. I've dealt with people who are in their late 40s, early 50s, and still carrying the burden, the weight of those burdens of the past, those critical words, the the output from the parent that was so negative and so destructive that 30, 40, 50 years later, the individual is still carrying that around as a crutch, and it has hindered their current life, their, their, their relationships with their spouses and their own children. You see, no visible wounds will show, but the damage to the spirit of a child can be devastating. See, many children who are assaulted with wounding words resort to criticism as a means of self-defense. To try to lessen the impact of their own emotional pain, they stay on the attack, always. So when painful words are played over and over in a child's mind, they may retaliate. And this explains why so many hurt people, listen, why so many hurt people hurt other people. So emotionally hurt children feel the pain of harshness, unconcern, rejection, and taunting. The harshness communicates you're not worthy of any kindness. The unconcern communicates you have no value. The rejection communicates you are not acceptable. And the taunting communicates you deserve to be insulted. A critical spirit starts out as a defense tactic. Typically, if one child hits another, what happens? The second hits back. Striking back when attacked is a natural defensive response. It's a natural protection. When you are in a position of having little power, you're unable to protect yourself from the attacks of someone who has so much more power than you. So consequently, you can become skilled in verbal attacks as a means of defense. However, if you want to be blessed with positive relationships, staying on the attack will never, ever solve the problem. That is why the Bible says, do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. No one wants to be around an evil person. No one wants to be around someone who's always ready to attack, to pounce on you. Someone who's already sharpened their quills and they're ready to shoot them straight into your heart like a dagger. Nobody wants to be around someone like that. And you may think, I'm not that kind of a person. But you may ask the people around you, maybe you are. Maybe you are that kind of a person that people don't want to be around because they're afraid of being attacked. The painful situations we experience as children are processed, listen, by our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions. Over time, we can develop a negative pattern, a cycle of reacting to these painful situations, of becoming critical, a pattern that can remain with us into and throughout our adulthood. 
So we must rely on the transforming work of the Holy Spirit within us to help us overcome a critical spirit. So when you're trapped in a cycle of critical thinking, you may exclaim, I can't help reacting this way. You may think that. Yet your emotions are merely responding to what your mind thinks. Therefore, the cycle is this. Your negative thoughts produce your negative emotions, which in turn produce your negative actions. I mean, keep in mind, there's a progression that I love to use. You've, if you've listened to me long enough, if you've heard other episodes, or if you've been in one of my conferences, you've probably heard me say this, that everything starts with a thought, and the thought becomes a word, and our words produce emotions, and the emotions determine our decisions. Our decisions later become actions. Those actions repeated over time become our habits. Those habits form our character and our character leads us to our final destination in life. And everything started with a thought. So since the cycle of criticism begins in our thoughts, we need to heed what the Bible tells us about renewing our minds. I mentioned it earlier. Let me remind you once again, it's in Romans 12 too. The word of God says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. He's saying, Paul is saying to the Romans, don't be like everyone else. Yeah, you've heard me say this over and over, monkey see, monkey do mindset. Just because they're doing it, that doesn't mean you need to do it. So don't conform to the pattern of this world. And believe me, we are living in an era right now. We're living in a time in history where people are mimicking other people, where people are conforming socially to the standards of the world and they are forgetting about the principles of the Bible. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So whenever a negative situation occurs in your life, you have a choice as to how you think about it, which determines how you respond. Children, and of course, every individual, adult and children alike, have three God-given inner needs. The first one is love, and that is to know that someone is unconditionally committed to our best interest, okay? Number two is significance, to know that our lives have meaning and purpose. And number three is security, to feel accepted and a sense of belonging. Those are three very deeply rooted needs within the heart of every child. Now, if you're an adult already, you still have these needs, but if you are a parent raising children, keep these three needs in mind so that you may parent more effectively. So to those three needs, let me attach a Bible verse, okay, to love, significance, and security. For love, Jeremiah 31, 3, I, the Lord, have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. For significance, Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, how many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11? I think that if you're a believer, if you've been in the word for a few years now, that's one of your go-to verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I would... I would take that verse and you know what? I would I would remove, for I know the plans that I have for you, I would remove you and I would insert a name. In this case, your child's name. Like I have a, a young one, his name is Daniel. So I would say, for I know the plans that I have for Daniel, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper him and not to harm him. Plans to give him a hope and a future. And for security, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you 
and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. If you're struggling with a critical spirit and you're lacking love, significance, and security, you didn't get it when you were younger, I would encourage you to take take these three pieces of scripture. And just like a doctor gives you medicine and tells you to take it three times a day, I would encourage you to take these three pieces of scripture as medicine. Not three times a day, but seven times a day. Write them down on a note card. Carry it with you in your pocket and your purse. Pull it out every once in a while whenever you have an opportunity. Read them. Reread them. Until you get to the point where you have memorized them by heart. Not only memorize them, but when they have become part of who you are. You believe them, you walk in them, and you grow and nurture your soul with them. If you know, if I mean, if you're feeling convicted right now and you're thinking, boy, I sure am critical of spirit. Well, let me share a verse with you out of Colossians 4, 6. The Bible says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, Why salt? Salt is also known as white gold. It was known as white gold in ancient times. Salt has always been highly valued. You see, previously used as as money for commercial trade. Today, salt is used to, of course, season food, which enhances flavor, to clean cuts and abrasions, which acts as a disinfectant, to melt icy roads and sidewalks, which prevents different kinds of accidents, and of course, to preserve food which without refrigeration keeps it from quickly spoiling. So when the Bible says, let your conversation be seasoned with salt, envision the salt of your words being used wisely to produce enhanced enjoyment in all of your relationships, to purify your wounded relationships by speaking healing, grace-filled words, to prevent the accidental uh, slip of the tongue and the use of caustic critical words, and to preserve your reputation and keep it from being spoiled. You know how easily you can spoil your reputation. You know how easily you can lose your testimony by a slip of the tongue, by saying something idiotic and attacking someone with a critical spirit. That's all you need to destroy your reputation. Our words, once again, let me reiterate this. Our words are powerful. There's power in the tongue. Isn't it interesting how small objects can possess great power? The power of the tongue seems far out of proportion to its size. A large horse is controlled by a small bit in its mouth, and an enormous ship is controlled by a small rudder. James 3.5 says this, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Wow. So what can we learn from James 3, 3 through 12? That the tongue, though it's little, it's powerful, like a small bit turning a huge horse. It's forceful, like a small rudder steering a massive ship. It's dangerous, like a tiny spark igniting a great forest fire. It is devastating, like a searing fire, burning the whole body. It is corrupting, like an evil force instigated by hell. It is untamable, 
like a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It is contaminating like a two-faced hypocrite, both praising and cursing others. It is distasteful like a flowing spring embittered by salt water, and it is contradictory like a fig tree bearing olives, like a grapevine bearing figs. My dear brother, my dear sister, if you desire to quit growing a crop of criticism, first pray that you will see your seeds of criticism from God's perspective. Then ask yourself this, what kind of looks do I give when I'm being critical? In other words, what do I look like? How do I act when I'm being critical? Do I express a critical attitude? Why do I have a critical spirit towards particular people, places, or situations? And explore the reasons for each one. And once you've identified your crop of criticism, pray for God's discernment to explain your crops of criticism to someone spiritually mature who's able to support you in making godly changes. Then enlist the help of an accountability partner in making two lists. First, those whom you need to forgive, and second, those from whom you need to ask forgiveness. Third, exercise your resolve to ask for forgiveness of others and to extend forgiveness to others. Then examine your thought life in light of God's word so that you may enter into an agreement with God to allow his word to sift out your critical spirit. Then expel all thoughts that do not pass through God's scriptural grid. And last but not least, exchange your critical thinking for God's correct thinking. And so the question is always, what is God's correct thinking? I like to sum it up with uh, Paul's words to the Philippians, Philippians 4.8. He says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want you to know, lastly, that God cares for your heart. God understands pain. Jesus understands pain. I mean, come on. He took it all to Calvary. He took it all to the cross. He was nailed to it for you and me, for the forgiveness of our sins. God cares for you. He sustains you. He holds you in the palm of his hand. Listen, he was there when you were hurt. He watched everything unfold. He witnessed your tears. The Bible says that he has collected every one of your tears. Nothing, nothing is hidden from him. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts and your words even before they escape your mouth. God is still God. He fabricated you with his very own hands in your mother's womb. And even before the beginning of times, before the creation of the earth, he had a plan for your life. The life that you're living today, if you're suffering with a critical spirit, is not the life that he intended for you. My dear brother, my dear sister, the beginning of your healing process is going to start with a heart of repentance, asking the Lord to forgive you, 
and extending forgiveness to those who have wronged you. Letting go and letting God take over. Continually, in prayer, ask Him, Father, search my heart and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any iniquity within me. My dear friend, if you're on the receiving side of a critical spirit, if you are in a relationship with someone who has a critical spirit, set boundaries. Don't become an enabler. Don't become a codependent spouse, partner, or friend. Set boundaries. Remember, the scripture says, above all else, guard your heart because from it flows life. Another translation says, above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. Break free from having a critical spirit and break free from being under a critical spirit. I hope this episode has helped you. I hope it's helped you recalibrate your mind, recalibrate your heart, realize whether or not you possess a critical spirit and are in need of healing, or if you're in a relationship with someone who has a critical spirit and you need to set boundaries. Listen, whatever it is, God is still God and He is able and willing to help you through this process. I would encourage you if you have a hard time setting boundaries, I would encourage you to go and listen to my boundaries uh, series called Guard Your Heart. I believe it's uh, episode one, two, and three at the very beginning, uh, one of the very first episodes that I recorded. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, listen to the, uh, to the series, and so that you can start setting boundaries in your life. If you are in need of counseling, I will attach my schedule to the show notes with my link so that if you would like to schedule a time to meet virtually, we can do that. We can talk about your situation, see where you're at, and uh, and help you through the healing process. I would also encourage you to connect to my YouTube channel. I have a lot of free material, lots of videos that you can watch, uh, listen to, and learn from. And also let's connect via Instagram so that way we can stay connected. And if you ever need to send me a message, the best way to do it is via Instagram Messenger. Just shoot me a message. I'm pretty good at replying pretty quickly. And if it's a question that you may have or if it's a need to set up a coaching session or a counseling session, as I said, I will include the link in the show notes. Would you also take a few minutes if you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying this podcast, to go and to rate this podcast? Of course, give us a five-star rating and also leave a positive, uplifting comment. I always go back to those. They refuel my passion for what I do. And it also helps other people connect to this podcast and uh, and continue learning and growing as you have been for these past few months. So I will see you in about a week or so. Um, hope to hear from you soon. God bless you guys. Love you in Christ. Goodbye.